Great to see you here in, in Waukesha, online, over in, in Pewaukee. Uh, welcome. I got to visit Pewaukee uh, last weekend and had just a uh, wonderful uh, time. Thank you, everybody, for joining us uh, for uh, church. And uh, it's really good to be uh, back after a, a break. Uh, if you're new uh, to River Glen, my name is uh, Ben, and I actually do work here. I actually have a job. Um, um, here, but I uh, appreciate the church allowing me to take a break uh, during the summer. Took a couple weeks of vacation. I went down to uh, uh, Tennessee, Gatlinburg area for a week. Got some vacation in. And then a few weeks of just planning and praying and, and studying and working on message uh, series for this next week. I do want to thank those who spoke on the weekends. I thought they did a great job. So let's, yeah, let's show them some thanks and appreciation. This parable series, I've really enjoyed watching it. Go, go and watch. If you missed any of the weekends, you want to get caught up, you can go back, go to our website and uh, check those out. Well, this summer, we've had a lot to celebrate in our church. I don't know if you know this. We have had, this year so far, 134 baptisms. Uh, praise God. That's just a great response. Love what God's uh, doing. In, in uh, July, we had our largest summer welcome brunch gathering that we've ever uh, had really praise God for that too. Appreciate that. By the way, the next uh, welcome brunch is coming up in two weeks on uh, so Sunday, September 18th. Both campuses, 10:30 to 11:30. If you're new, this is your next step. This is where you find out about the beliefs of our church, our mission, where we're going, our vision, where we're heading in the future. You'll find out about our ministries, meet some of our leaders, enjoy a delicious brunch, and you get one of these T-shirts. Soft, comfortable T-shirt that I'm wearing here. You get one of these, and so I think I think you're really going to enjoy the welcome uh, brunch. And feel free to take out your phone right now, and you can get signed up. Scan the QR code in in front of you, or stop at the uh, welcome center in the um, uh, lobby. No matter how long you've attended River Glen, we want everybody uh, to to go. Uh, through uh, Welcome Brunch. We also had a lot to celebrate uh, this summer in our family. Tuesday night, we had a big event. Check this out. We had our second granddaughter, Chloe. Uh, yeah. Came into the world. She's beautiful, and we're just excited and uh, really grateful for uh, uh, Chloe. What a great blessing. So a lot to celebrate this summer, and of course, we got uh, uh, Labor Day to celebrate uh, tomorrow. Question for you. You ever thought about what does God celebrate? What makes God celebrate? What gets God to the point where he throws a, a party? You're, you're thinking about what is it that makes God celebrate? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And this is really important for us if you're new and if you're like, well, I don't even know if God, I don't even think God celebrates anything based on what I know about God. I'm glad you're here. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a stethoscope and put it up and listen to God's heartbeat and what makes him celebrate. And it might change everything in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, really important for us to understand and align our lives and our church with what makes God uh, celebrate with, with the heart of uh, God. Today we're wrapping up this uh, parable, on our series on parables. Parables are stories that Jesus would tell. And most of the time, Jesus would just tell one parable. And then he would teach a point from it. But today, we're going to look at three parables. I think this is the only time in Scripture where Jesus tells three parables, rapid fire, one right after the other, to make one point to help us understand the heart of God 
and what makes God celebrate. Because, he, because God knows it's so easy for us to forget and get distracted. You ever heard this statement before? The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's a good one, isn't it? Because we so easily uh, forget and, and we get off track and we may not even realize it. You know, I heard a story, a true story about this that I'd never heard before. Maybe some of you have heard the story about Eastern Airlines Flight 401 that crashed in December 1972 in Florida, killing 96 people. Yeah, you know, sometimes when planes crash, we don't know why. We don't know the cause. We know why this plane uh, crashed because there were 75 survivors, including some of the flight uh, crew. Here's what happened. When they lowered the uh, landing gear, uh, the light didn't come on in the cockpit. They thought they heard the landing gear, uh, but the light didn't come on in the cockpit, and the whole crew in the co cockpit got preoccupied with the light. They took the cover off the light to replace the bulb, but while they worked on this light bulb, they inadvertently turned off the autopilot and started to descend. They literally flew into the Florida Everglades because they were messing around with a 75-cent light bulb, and they forgot to fly the plane. They forgot to keep the main thing, the main thing. And it, it's so easy for all of us to do. It's easy for us to do as followers of Jesus and as, as, a, as a church. And, and, and we drift and we forget to keep the main thing, uh, the main thing. And so today I want to look briefly at three parables that Jesus uh, told uh, to help us understand and align with, with the heart of God and the vision of, of God. And not only will these parables help us keep the main thing, uh, the main thing, you know what? These parables can unite us together. I want to show you another picture of a celebration. This was last year, about a year ago, in downtown Milwaukee. Remember that? That's the night the Milwaukee Bucks won the NBA championship. 65,000 people packed the Deer District in downtown uh, Mil Milwaukee to, to, to cheer the Bucks, who went on to win the championship that night. Let me tell you about this, this, this crowd right here, 65,000 uh, people. In this crowd, uh, there are Republicans and Democrats. There are liberals and conservatives in this crowd. In this crowd, there are people who got vaccinated and people who did not get vaccinated. Uh, vaccinated. There are uh, white people, black people, uh, Hispanic people, Asian people. There are rich people. There are poor people. There are people who live in the city. There are people who live in the uh, suburbs. You know what? I would bet that there are even some Chicago Bull fans in, in that crowd because they want to support a winner, right? There's all these people with all these differences, and yet they're united together. You know why that is? It's because they share the same vision for the Milwaukee Bucks to win the NBA championship. I bring this up because the vision of God for his people, the heartbeat of God has the power to unite us together. No one can unite us together like Jesus Christ. So here's, here's, here's a context for the parables. In uh, Luke chapter 15, it says, uh, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of uh, religious law complain uh, that uh, Jesus was associating 
with such sinful people. Jesus was even uh, eating uh, with them. Now, when it says tax collectors, I want you to understand, okay, these are not, you know, your run-of-the-mill H&R block associates, okay? This is not referring to the nice guy that helps you finish your taxes at the end of the year. No, this is referring to tax collectors who worked for the Roman government. People hated uh, the Roman uh, government. The Roman government would kill people who got in, in the way. And the Roman government would use these tax collectors to make their empire even bigger. And these tax collectors lived crooked lives. They would overcharge people. They would pocket uh, some of the money before they returned it to the uh, uh, Roman government. People hated tax collectors. And then notorious sinners. That's referring to people on the bottom of society. Prostitutes. People with disabilities who could not work. People with, with diseases. And these are the people that Jesus hung out with. Notorious sinners and tax collectors. And, you know, he didn't just tolerate them, okay? I mean, he, look at this. It says, this right he ate with them. That means he liked them. He, he loved them. And so if you want to be like Jesus, uh, you, you hang out with sinful people. You have a big heart for sinful people. Let me ask you, how, how big is your heart toward lost people? How big is your heart toward sinful people? Jesus uh, loves them. But the religious people, you know, they didn't like how Jesus associated with sinful people. And so the religious people, they started to criticize and, and complain about Jesus. So Jesus sees their incorrect attitude and he tells three stories, three parables, rapid fire, right after uh, each other to help us keep the main thing, uh, the main thing. Here's the first one. Jesus says, if a man has 100 sheep and uh, one of them gets lost, uh, what's he going to do? You got 100 sheep uh, what, what, what do you, and you lose one, uh, what do you do? Well, some people in our world today would say, well, you know, you don't want to risk leaving the 99 for the one. A businessman, a businesswoman might say, you know, do the math. <clears throat> and just write that one off as a business expense, but not Jesus and not the people who lived in the, in the ancient world in the first uh, century. Look at the harsh terrain where, you know, they would find pasture to feed sheep. And you can see how easy it would be for, for a sheep uh, to get lost and how dangerous it would be. And so everybody listening would have agreed with Jesus that if a shepherd loves that one sheep, just like he loves uh, the 99, he's going to go after the lost one. Just like if you have a, a, a bunch of kids, you know, if you've got like, like, like five kids and you, you lose one, okay, you're not like, oh, oh, well, you know, we've got four other kids. No, no. If you love someone, what do you do? You do whatever it takes to go and find and save uh, uh, him or her. Jesus says, won't, won't the uh, shepherd leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God uh, than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus says, this is what makes God celebrate. This is what makes God party. When we find a lost sheep, God cares more for the one lost sheep than the 99 who are safe and and secure. Now, of course, God loves the 99, okay? The the point is not to devalue uh, the 99. God loves all of us uh, equally. Uh, And and by the way, we're we're so grateful for those of you 
who uh, follow Jesus faithfully and, and never wander from him. We're so grateful uh, for those of you who serve and you pray and you give and you make it possible for us to be a church where lost ones uh, can be found. Thank you. But in, in many churches, the gravitational pull is toward the 99. It's tempting for Christians to start thinking, oh, there's 99 of us. We're the majority. <clears throat> We're the main thing. It's easy, it's easy to start thinking, hey, this is for us. This is all about us. But Jesus makes the point in all three parables that God cares about finding lost people more than anything else. Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. That's the main thing. Jesus goes on, tells another story uh, to make the same point. Uh, he says, or suppose a woman has a, a ten silver coins and loses one. Uh, won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call on her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one uh, sinner repents. This woman in the story, uh, Jesus tells, she lost a silver coin. Kind of like this one that we handed out at the door. Except her silver coin was worth a day's wages. Yours is chocolate, okay? It's not as valuable. But uh, you can use your imagination uh, a little bit. You know, uh, she's got ten silver coins. She loses one in her house. Back then, houses are small. They had dirt floors. Few windows. And so she, first thing she does, she lights a lamp and she grabs a broom and she frantically searches every corner of that house to find the lost coin. Uh, notice the effort that she puts into the search. And notice she's not mad about it. She's not mad at the lost coin. She just focuses on finding it. And she represents God and how God goes all in searching and finding and then celebrating when lost people are, are found. God's heart aches for the, for the lost. This is the heart of Christianity. This is the heart of this church. And here's what this means for us uh, today. The people who are not sitting next to you today, the people who are not watching online, those who are not in, in, in a relationship uh, with God right now, those who have, have wandered from him matter more to God than anything else. And I think all of us, all of us have a lost coin. All of us know somebody, right, who's far from God. Maybe it's a, a friend, maybe it's a, a neighbor, maybe it's a, a family member. And unless they get invited into a relationship with God and they accept that invitation, they face separation from God and from us for eternity. That's why we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. That's why we need to start sweeping and searching for lost people. And then Jesus tells uh, one more parable, uh, the parable of the lost son, uh, more commonly known as the story of the prodigal son. We actually did a whole series on this third parable uh, recently called Prodigal. So I'm not going to unpack it for you today, but it makes the same point that God loves lost people. The father in the story runs, embraces his, his son, who was lost because now he is uh, found. I want to show you just a one-minute clip from the uh, funeral ceremony uh, for, for Billy Graham from a few years ago. At one point, one of his daughters uh, got up and shared a story about her father 
uh, that I think illustrates this third parable. Take a look. I have learned this week as never before that everybody has a Billy Graham story, but I have my own Billy Graham story. Being stubborn, willful, and sinful. I married a man on New Year's Eve, and within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I gonna do? And let me tell you, you women will understand you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. <laughs> I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. That's what God is like. And uh, maybe, maybe some of you would say, you know, I don't think my father would have done that for me. I think he would have yelled at me, filled me with shame. But I want you to know you've got a perfect heavenly father and he loves you he sent his son jesus to die for you and he wants you to receive his love and to be filled with his love and he wants you to develop his heart for lost people that's why jesus told these three parables uh, rapid fire about a lost sheep a lost coin a lost son a lost daughter god cares about lost people more than anything that's the main thing but there's something that can get in the way of our mission um, and uh, celebrating what God uh, celebrates. So I want to talk with you for a moment uh, about something that's uh, been on my heart uh, for, for quite some uh, time. In, in fact, I, I, um, I regret that I have not talked about this sooner uh, with you. I apologize for not talking about this sooner. Before I get into it, I want you to know that um, in the next few moments, if at any point you think that you have uh, discovered uh, my uh, political leanings, uh, you have missed what I'm trying to say. If you think that I'm coming out on, you know, one side or, or the other uh, po politically, that, that's not what this is about. If something I say uh, gets you angry today, I want you to... Uh, watch the video, go back and watch the video and, and see if that's what I actually said. I, 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 the last couple of years I know have been just really hard for all of us. It's been like we've got four, uh, four pandemics going on at the same time. We've got COVID, the uh, racial crisis, the uh, political crisis, the economic crisis. And I've seen some Christians behave in embarrassing ways that can distract from the mission of Jesus. I've seen some Christians who are more passionate about their political views and their political agenda than they are about the love of Jesus and the Lord's agenda of finding lost people. I've seen some Christians who seem more concerned about their freedom than their faith. And I want you to think about how that looks to 
other people, to, to outsiders, to people outside the church, people that, that, that we're supposed to reach for, for Jesus. When they look at the church and they see complaining and fighting and arguing, I'm telling you, here's what they say. They say, you know, why would I want to go to that? That's why I don't go. And that's why we need to get refocused on the main thing. And I think we can learn from the early uh, church. Before we go deeper into a political season this fall, for a moment, let's take a look at how the first century Christians carried out the the mission of Jesus to reach uh, lost people, even though the Roman government wanted to wipe them out. Back in the first century, Christians were a minority They had no political power. They had no ability to vote. But look at what the Apostle Paul says to a group of Christians living in the first century. He says this, do everything without complaining or arguing. Remember, they lived under a bad government. And Paul says, uh, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Some of us are like, why? I mean, you know, some Christians like to complain and argue and fight. It's like a hobby. <clears throat> for some Christians. Um, but Paul goes on to give the reason. He says, uh, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault. Look at this. In a warped and crooked generation. Another translation calls it a, a, a depraved generation and uh, world. Uh, notice how Paul describes the world in the first uh, century. I know that Many of us are concerned about the world today. We see the world as warped and crooked and depraved in so many ways. But Paul says, I don't want you to grumble and argue and complain about it because the people you're trying to reach for Jesus. Remember, God cares about lost people, reaching lost people more than anything else. And if the people we're trying to reach see us arguing and complaining and fighting, they're going to think you're no different than anybody else. Why would I want to? Why would I want to go to go to that? I've got enough of that already in my life. So Paul says, take the high road, because you have a higher calling. Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. And uh, here, here's what'll happen: then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Paul says, people are going to watch you. They're going to watch how you live, and they're going to notice something different. They're going to notice the contrast. They're going to see the love of Jesus in your life, and they're going to want to find out more. They're going to want what you have. Paul actually uh, references something that uh, Jesus had said. Jesus put it this way. You're the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus and Paul say the same thing, that your good works, your good deeds, your acts of kindness shine like stars in the sky and will draw more people to Jesus. I want you to know I'm just so proud of the way many of you serve in this church and in, in our communities and cities and how you shine the light of Jesus in a dark world. You share the love of, of, of Jesus. So I felt so proud of our church last weekend. I thought Don Rowe gave an excellent message. And I, I love this slide 
that, that he put up to show the partners that we serve with, some of the partners that we serve with in our communities and, and region and around uh, the world. I'm so glad that we go outside our walls and serve and shine the light of Jesus locally, regionally, and globally. And I'd love to see us expand and do even more in the future. But Paul would say this. Remember, he had no political power. He had no ability to vote. He writes to Christians living in the first century in a pagan culture, a warped and crooked and depraved generation. And he would say to us, if you have the chance to vote, vote. If you want to run for office, run for office. But when you engage your culture, do it without grumbling or arguing or complaining or fighting so that you shine like stars in the sky and you will draw more people to Jesus. So let's take the high road. Look at what Paul says about this. He says, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Doesn't mean Paul changed his beliefs. Doesn't mean Paul agreed with everyone about everything, but he loved everyone. And he built relationships even with people he had nothing in common with to share the grace and love of Jesus. Paul kept the main thing, the main thing. He remembered that God cares about lost people more than anything else. Here's what this means for us today. We take the high road. Let's pray for people in office, even if we didn't vote for them. Let's, let's re refuse to, to get into political mudslinging. Let's build relationships with, with all people, even people we have nothing in common with, in order to share the grace and love of Jesus. Let's go Luke 15. Let's, uh, let's find, let's search and find lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons, lost uh, daughters. Let's turn on the light. Let's get out the broom and start sweeping for Jesus in our homes, in our communities. In our, in our neighborhoods. Let's not leave anybody. Let's not forget any, anyone. Let's invite more people to come and hear about Jesus, hear the message about Jesus. Let's plant more churches. Let's start more campuses. Let's help build more houses in our community. Let's donate more food, more clothing, more supplies. Let's shine the light of, of Jesus. When you walked in, I think you were uh, probably handed one of these um, chocolate coins. Would you go ahead? And uh, just take that out for a moment. I don't want you to eat it, but I want you to hold on to it. Uh, you can eat it later on. It represents a person who's lost and needs Jesus. Here's the question. Who's your, who's your silver, silver coin? Who's your lost coin? Who's your one? A couple challenges for you today. Uh, number one, would you, would you pray for them? Maybe it's somebody close to you. Maybe it's a family member, a friend. A neighbor, would you pray, God, uh, would, you, uh, would you open their heart? God, would you help them to understand how much you care about them and love them? God, would you somehow use me to help them? Here's a prayer that I've been praying almost every day this summer. Jesus, give me your eyes for the one. Help me to see people the way that you see people. Give me someone to bless today. Something great about prayer is that when you pray uh, for lost coins, when you pray for other people, it not only releases God's power to change other people, it changes you. And it aligns our hearts with God. 
and unites us uh, together around the mission of Jesus. So pray for them. And then second challenge, invite them. Uh, next weekend's a great, great opportunity to invite people uh, to come with you. We've got September Fest. You heard about it earlier. Our team's done a great job planning this event. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be awesome. Can't, can't wait. Use the uh, invitation piece to invite someone. Take extra on your way out. Hand them out this week. Next week, we also begin a new series called Made for More that I think is going to be a great weekend and really just a great series to invite a guest. I think it's going to be helpful for all of us to discover the more that God has for us. Maybe you know someone who used to attend church and they started uh, drifting. Invite them next weekend. Maybe you meet somebody this week that you can invite. I want to give you three indicators that you should invite someone to church. Listen for these three statements. They're often called the three knots. And when they come up in your conversations, it's a good opportunity to invite someone. The first, first, one, first one, somebody says, you know, I'm not, I'm not from around here. Other, some, someone's new to the area. They're not from around here. They don't have a church home. Great, you should come and join us. You should come check us out. Second one, uh, someone says, I'm not prepared for this. Just found out I'm going to become a dad. I'm going to become a grandfather. Just found out our, our, our business is, is closing, closing, whatever it is. I'm not prepared for this. Uh, you should come to our church. I think it'll be helpful for you. One more. Someone says, I'm not very religious. Well, that's okay. Neither are we. Come and join us. Come and check us out. Here's what happens when you start to pray for your one and you start to listen to people and invite people. You're going to discover that people will often say yes to you before they say yes to God. And when they say yes to God, I mean, you're going to celebrate like never before. And your heart is going to start beating with God's heart. And we'll unite together around the mission of Jesus. And we'll celebrate. Every weekend we gather together like this to celebrate who God is and, and what God has, has, has done for us. And, and we always take time uh, for communion to remember what Christ has done for us to unite us. And so I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to share communion, invite you to share communion. We've got communion on the, available on the back tables in our rooms. Feel free to get up and, and pick that up if you're watching online. Hope you'll use your own items, your own liquid and solid and, and join with us. The bread represents Christ's body. The juice represents Christ's blood to remind us how Jesus sacrificed himself to forgive our sins and to unite us together as a family to love one another and to carry out this mission, his mission of making more and better followers of him. Nothing, no one unites us together uh, like Jesus. Let me pray for us and, uh, and then you can take communion when you're ready. Father, there are times when all of us need uh, reminding. I know I often need reminding about what's most important. We, have so, we just have so many messages firing at us every day. We just get bombarded by messages throughout our day. God, we thank you uh, for these parables that help us get aligned with you and understand your heart and what makes you celebrate. We want to celebrate with you. God, we thank you for communion and how it reminds us about what you've done for all of us through Jesus. And 
how your love changes everything in our lives and in our church. And God, thank you for including us in the greatest mission in the world. God, we give ourselves to your heart and your mission. We give our lives and we give our church. And we pray this in Jesus' name.